Well, take a deep breath whenever you're ready. Thanks, Mom. Hello, everyone. Hello, Auntie Frond. Hello, Auntie Whiskers. Hello, virtual listeners. Well, the nice thing about our first episode is that it gives us the chance to start some traditions or uh, common practices. And one that I would like to bring to the table is that we should start each time by talking about a dope auntie, like an auntie of the episode. I accept. We're recording this episode around the time of the presidential inauguration. And a lot of the events that have been around this time um, have centered on some ideas of resistance and protest and people rising up to speak out against the moldy tangerine himself. This was a, this was a time that a lot of people came together to protest against him. And also, I think, meaningfully to protest against a lot of the stuff that was there before him and probably will be there after him, too. Um, so I'm going to take a moment to ask everybody if they are listening and are able to, to Google, if you don't know who she is, resistance auntie. <laughs> Perhaps the most important part of the picture is that she looks thoroughly unpleased and is um, holding both of her middle fingers up toward the president-elect, now yeah. president, I suppose. It's a two-gun salute right there. A two-gun salute. I think she should be our auntie of the podcast. For anybody who doesn't know who Resistance Auntie is, her name is Anita Yavich, Yavich, and she is a professor at SUNY Purchase and a lecturer in theater at Princeton um, and is a costume designer. And the reason that this photo of her has really been making the rounds on the internet is that she's in this honestly dope purple, like jacket robe thing oh it's an amazing piece of clothing i wore a purple jacket for inauguration weekend it was nowhere near this awesome i also have seen this image um sometimes accompanied by the hashtag not your model minority which i think is something that speaks potentially to both of us as two asian american people invested in thinking about and seeking to dismantle the model minority myth yeah well, for those of you unfamiliar, um, there's a lot of scholarship that I hope you will consult after this episode. But the model minority myth, in addition to painting the image of a of all Asian Americans as this monolithic, quote, high achieving, unquote, group, also implies or sometimes outright suggests that Asian American success is due to their or our um, unwillingness to speak up in the face of power, to be silent and complicit and to go along with the status quo, not to make trouble, so to speak. And that's not something we're really about. Yeah, especially because that's used to juxtapose us with Black people and their long histories of resistance and mobilization and rising up. If anything, we want to be aligned with those people and to earn our place among them. Long live resistance, auntie. Long live resistance, auntie. The revolution will be clad in purple. Something that's cool about us picking resistance, auntie, is that um, 
I think it's easy for a lot of people to classify resistance or um, mobilization in general, especially people that we know, as being a domain of young people. But it seems like resistance, Auntie, is maybe not our age, which is kind of what we want to talk about today. Yeah, to be more explicit about it, we thought that we would use this episode to talk about age and aging. So for this first episode, we're going to be interviewing, drumroll please, each other. Hey! <laughs> Surprise, except probably nobody's surprised. We wouldn't be doing this podcast together if we didn't um, have a lot of interest and emotional investment in what each other has to say. And especially because, as I said in our episode zero, I think we're going to grow old together. I think it's only fitting that we talk about what growing old together might look like and some of the ways that we're going to be relating to the passage of time. Yeah, so we each came up with a set of questions to ask each other. And hopefully over the course of this episode, we're just going to have a conversation about some different aspects of age and aging and Asian aging. I think we talk a lot about intergenerational relationships. I mean, the whole concept of an auntie is like an intergenerational relationship in some ways. In the winter, Auntie Frond, you actually came with me and got to meet some of the people that I think have really shaped how I relate to the ideas of age and aging, specifically because they're all a little to a lot older than I am, but have always been there for me. And they're mainly women, so I think of them as older sisters and aunties, and also have been kind of inspired by the conversations that they let me into and the work that they let me be a part of when I was really young and objectively an age at which I think a lot of people's capacity is underestimated. Some of them may be listening and others of them, if they aren't listening, I hope that they feel a warm glow and know that I'm thinking of them. start us off, Auntie Whiskers, um, something I would really like to know about is what you envision as being one of the best and one of the worst parts of physically maturing and aging. Oh, like my actual body? What's going to happen to it? Yep. What do you see oh. coming down the pipeline? For one, uh, in my family, there are pretty high rates of diabetes. So I'm, I'm pretty resigned to that being a definite thing. And I really don't want to go the direction of my late grandmother who had to have um, one or more of her toes amputated toward the end of her life due to diabetes. Um, another, another thing that kind of bums me out about getting older is that um, elderly people are more prone to UTIs. At this point in my life, even though I am a young bean, I have already experienced a couple of UTIs. Recently, my, my approach to them has been to just chug a lot of cranberry juice so that I don't unnecessarily use antibiotics. This is not scientific advice, by the way. This is just an arbitrary moral code. So here's some good things I'm actually looking forward to as I get older. Number one, I think I might look pretty good with gray hair. I think you'll definitely look good with gray hair. Uh, also nice, no periods. Maybe it's not totally body related, but I guess it's brain related. I'm going to do a lot of crosswords and Sudoku to keep myself young and mentally agile. That's going to be amazing. In a more short-term way, something that I'm looking forward to in the next uh, in the next few years, especially once I'm out of the academic system and uh, don't feel as burdened by the need to study, is really figuring out honestly what time of day what times of day work best for me. Um, mm. You know, I think I really like the sunrise and I really like seeing those sunrises. So maybe 
maybe when I'm 80 or maybe when I'm 35, I'm just going to start sleeping at 8 p.m. And people in my life are just going to have to deal with that because it's so that I can be awake at three or four when I feel really alive and calm. That sounds so great. Do you agree with any of those things? Or do you have uh, things of your own that you are or aren't looking forward to? Nervous about the UTI thing. Don't have a family history of diabetes, fortunately. Not sure how I would look with gray hair. TBD. I'm a little bit nervous about menopause because one of the people that I work with has been recently talking about a lot of hot flashes and they sound really unpleasant and I'm not really looking forward to them, but Mm. they might happen. I don't really know how menopause works. After we were talking the other day, um, she and I, I googled menopause and tried to read some Wikipedia pages about it, but didn't really come up with any conclusions. I think something nice might be having a community of other people with our with our same physiology who are going to be going through menopause around the same time that we are, you know? Yeah, like you can have a menopause club. Yeah, like a, a group a group chat or maybe an in-person meetup once every week or so to kind of check in with all the new things our body is doing. What's something you are looking forward to? Oh, I'm really looking forward to being an older person who can wear whatever I want, including like really comfortable arch-supported shoes. For the record, I mean, do you think there are people that would call you on that now? Think of how many people made fun of Brianna when she got Skechers. She faced a lot of blowback for that choice, right? Brianna, if you're listening, I love your Skechers and I want your feet to be comfortable. What do you think your your dream uh, older you outfit is going to be? I wonder if I'll get really into wearing like long flowery dresses, maybe. Mm. Like loose pants. With the dresses? Honestly, maybe. I think... Um, my old person outfit is probably going to be a lot like your grandmother's in that people will often call me sir. Yeah, she has a lot of those like patterned button-up shirts that she makes herself and then she wears like slacks. Yes. Yes to those. Something I would like for you to do when we get old together is maybe remind me or take it upon yourself to fill my pill my pill jar, whatever it's called, that thing that has compartments for like Sunday, Sunday morning, Sunday afternoon. Oh yeah, fill- pillbox. Yeah, my pillbox. I would like you to take charge of filling my pillbox or at least remind me to do so when we're not together. I accept. On to the next one. All right, so that was your first question. My first question to you is is like, I think, less of a laundry list and more of a gentle story. So I think that you are and are going to continue to be for many more years a pretty devoted and considerate and brilliant organizer. But I know that one thing that you've expressed to me is not now nor at a later point in your life do you envision yourself working with youth in particular. And to clarify, maybe you can clarify for yourself if you want to, I think that you definitely respect the legitimacy of youth organizing and like have a lot of friends who are engaged in that work, but I think it's pretty important and valid that you know at this stage that that's not for you. But something I'm wondering is, since you don't have any younger siblings, uh, younger blood siblings, and are not planning on organizing with youth, do you think that you have positive memories or associations with younger people? Well, first of all, I think you really just wrapped a lot of really nice things into that question you just <laughs> asked me. So thanks a lot. Um, Yeah, it's true that I think I've told you before that I don't feel like youth work is something I really envision myself doing. 
Um, and yeah, it's not that I don't think it's important, um, because in a lot of ways I think youth are the future, etc. Um, but I also have realized that I'm not sure I, um, really see myself in a role throughout my life that consists of like day-to-day work with youths and I'm not sure actually where that comes from. I'm not sure if some of it comes from being an only child and not really growing up with younger people around me. Recently, on the day of the inauguration, some friends and I went to an event called the People's Inauguration, and that was a really great gathering of a bunch of different community groups and organizations. Um, And there's this really great part in which there's this group of youths who um, put on an action. Well, their metaphor was that um, Trump and his administration are creating this wall, kind of like a barrier to achievement for youths, particularly youths of color. And so, um, you know, they had like their props that they made. So they had this coffin to symbolize how youths of color, um, particularly black and brown youths um, and young men of color are targeted by the criminal justice system and the school-to-prison pipeline and things like that. Yeah, and so it was just really cool to hear them talk and share their stories and also see how they had put this action together um, and how they were really working to make their voices heard and to assert themselves as part of this movement. Um, And I would argue a really integral part of this movement. And another thing that I am really excited about from that day, or another thing that I remember from that moment, was that I was with my friend Eve, and I think um, something that I really enjoy when being around young people is seeing other people who um, do feel called to youth work, because I really like seeing how they interact with youth. Being with Eve and getting to be really excited about the youth that we are seeing in front of us was so great because I know she does a lot of work with youth and really cares about youth empowerment and recently told me that she thinks she could be a dope youth organizer. You are and will be such a dope youth organizer, Eve. Yeah. Okay, love you. Yeah. I don't really have anything to add on that one. I mean, personally, I don't have a lot of experience with youth organizing because I guess in the situations of my life that could have been considered youth organizing, I was the same age as a lot of the youths that were present and, you know, barely older than others. So I guess I don't really have that much context for what youth organizing looks like, especially uh, in the fields and organizing arenas that I find myself being drawn to. But I hope to, if I ever do have youths that are involved in the work I'm involved with, treat them the ways that I was treated when I was a youth who was being mentored and organized. I guess I am still that youth in some ways. You know, I think... Youth organizing takes respect and humility and a serious commitment to seeing the youth for their capacity and what they bring to the table instead of trying to to mature them or have them grow up. Like, youth mm-hmm. don't need to grow up to be, to be awesome. They already are. Mm-hmm. Yeah, word. I mean, I like really, I really like watching you with youths. Like what kind of youth? Are you talking about the babies that I that I try to befriend on the on public transportation? Yeah, I'm talking about babies. Yeah. I don't know if you can organize babies. If you can, that's work I'd be down to explore personally. Now I'd like to ask you a question. Go for it. Um 
this is going to get pretty conceptual, I guess. Um, so we're going from really the physical to the experiential to just the perhaps bizarre and abstract. I'd really like to talk about this concept of peaking. That's P. Yeah, yeah. This is P E A K I N G, not peaking like P E E. Wait, P E E. Yeah, two E's. Such as how I would like to peek out of this blanket. Auntie Frond, English major. <laughs> I mean, I think it's a good question, but what is what what is peaking? What does that mean? I think sometimes we hear people say stuff like. I peaked in college, or I peaked in middle school, or I peaked in elementary school. And some of those things are jokes, and a lot of those things are said because we are young people. I think sometimes people frame age as and aging and life as this linear thing, or perhaps a thing with one peak in it, so a triangle um, in which there's a time somebody will be at their most blank, their most beautiful, their most fit, their most healthy, their most intelligent, their most engaging. And I'm wondering what you think about this. Do you think this exists? Is this a real thing? Has it already happened? Have we peaked? Oh, man. Can we, is, can we not peak? Is there <laughs> any way for this to happen? Something that I have been known to say is that I peaked when I was 17. And I think that when I was 17, that's a time in my life that I had been committed to a kind of work for long enough that I felt comfortable and empowered and really invigorated by doing that work. Um, I also seem to have this ability to either not do any schoolwork at all or do schoolwork somehow and not really remember I finished high school and went to college, so I must have done it. But it really didn't cut into my time that much, which is a really positive thing, I think. Um, and let's see, not saying that I drank alcohol at the age of 17, but <laughs> if I did, let me say, I think I, I was actually probably a better drinker then than I am now. Um, and also at that age... I think for better and for worse, I hadn't taken academic classes on oppression. And so a lot of the ways that I thought and felt and acted on uh, the existence of, of systems of power was really visceral and kind of instinctual. Whereas now I think I find myself constantly debating how and when to engage with academic knowledge and language and ways of approaching oppression and social justice. And that can be kind of scary. I don't want to become someone that my 17-year-old self couldn't have talked to. But then I think about how I have grown in so many inf infinite ways from when I was 17, including learning that language and taking certain kinds of classes and putting myself in new situations, um, developing different parts of my identity, befriending people like you that I wouldn't have met um, had I continued living my 17-year-old life. And when I think about that, I'm presented with the idea that perhaps I haven't peaked and maybe I'm never going to peak. Maybe if life is a journey, it's okay if that journey isn't framed in terms of high points and low points, you know? There's this saying, I wish I could find it now, but I actually don't even know it to Google, um, by this, I believe he was a Chinese filmmaker who said that when he was young... Um, he had a lot of 
confrontational or critical ideas that he wanted to put into art. And a lot of the people around him, both critics and mentors, told him that as he aged, he would become like a stone in the river, a little smoother and a little more able to go with the flow. And then he said that, in fact, as he got older, what's happened is that the waters that he's encountered have sharpened him in many ways and kind of uh, made, gotten him even further away from that place of being dulled and non-resistant, which I think is a beautiful image that I am trying to hold and maybe work toward, you know, becoming a little sharper and a little smarter in the ways that I can, but also hopefully trying to hold on to the sharpness and smartness that I've had this whole time. Now I would like to present you with a question that I think you're actually going to enjoy quite a bit. I know that you're pretty close with your grandma. She's someone I haven't met yet, but that I really hope to meet. Um, and I actually wanted to ask you, given her long and fruitful life, if you, in your present at the age you are now, could go back in time and hang out with her at a point in her life, when would you choose? Specifically, how old is she in that time that you travel back to, and why have you picked that time? This is a great question. For background information, my grandma is currently um, 102 or 103. No one is really sure, but at this point, it's old. she's old enough that everybody gives her the benefit of the doubt and calls her 103. So because she's been alive for so long, I've heard a lot of stories about her life. And um, I think it would be interesting to see her as a really young person, like, for example, growing up in China and um, being a single person before being married. But what I would really love to see is my grandmother after being married and after her husband had just died. So that's my mom's dad. So a little bit of background on her is that she um, grew up in China and then came to North America with my grandfather in, you know, kind of lived in different areas in the Midwest and also some places in Canada, and then lived with her children and my grandfather in Michigan for a very long time. But then after my grandfather died and after all of the children had moved out of the house and kind of had their own lives, she came to California to come live with my uncle, um, but to also be near my mom, who was living in California at the time. And so from what I hear during this time, she was in her early 70s, I think. Um, and so she had just moved and was a single person and was honestly making a lot of really big moves for herself. Um, she was pretty mobile because she wasn't, you know, kind of as hindered by her physical health due to age as she is now. So she would take the bus around and take the train and bop around. Um, this was also a time when she was taking English classes and studying for her citizenship test. And so that was a big thing that she was doing for herself at that time. And I think I really would have loved to see her at this time because I think she would have a lot of the aspects of um, being an elder in my life and being the maternal figure that she is because we would still have a large age difference but at the same time I think she would be able to do a lot more things um, maybe she should would show me the giant winter melon she was growing um, yeah I think it would be fun to hang out with her and be able to kind of like see her in action because a lot of what I love about her story 
and a lot of the ways that I think of her being a strong independent woman come from her being a strong independent woman at kind of like an older age, if that makes sense. That's really cool. Honestly, when I thought of this question, I kind of assumed that you were going to say when she was basically our age, you know, early 20s um, and in China. But I'm actually thrilled that you chose an age that's still considered old because I really like that you're reading beauty and wisdom and um, excitement into that time of her life. Thanks. Yeah, I think it was probably a beautiful and wise and exciting time in her life. Wish I could have seen it. Just have the pictures of the winter melon, though. Someday when the time machines happen and we have to deal with that whole set of ethical and moral quandaries, I hope that you get the chance to go back to there. I sure do as well, Auntie Whiskers. Alright, so, like we keep saying, we're early 20-something human beings right now, and someday we're going to be older human beings, and maybe we're going to be together. Hopefully we'll be together. Yeah. So I guess the question that I think we should both ask ourselves is, what is our personhood, or maybe our life as a whole, going to look like, let's say, 50 years from now, when we're in our early 70s? Mm. I think this question is really funny, mostly because I have no idea what I will be doing in one to two years. So in 50 years, that's like (laughs) really a big question. But I guess that's kind of the point of this question. I think the thing about such a large unit of time is that um, maybe the decisions that we're making about our immediate future will matter, or maybe they won't really matter at that point, you know? Yeah, maybe they won't matter at all. Maybe the only thing that will really matter is whether or not we wore sunscreen. Yeah. Sunscreen's important, guys, even on cloudy days, and yes, even for people of color. The first thing that comes to mind for me is, what's going to be taking up the bulk of our time when we're that old? Will we still be working? Who knows? My father's father's father, so my great-grandfather, his youngest brother, actually, when he was alive, held the Guinness World Record for oldest currently living practicing physician. And I think when he retired, I met him when he just retired, probably um, he retired age 99 or something. I said casually, as if that isn't insane. Um, And I think I met him shortly after. And already I think his mind and his body had started to deteriorate. So I'm not saying that I really want to work till I'm 100, like as a rule, but it does kind of scare me that without the structure of a career, especially a career that provides a lot of identity and solace and motivation in one's life, I don't really know how to spend that kind of time. Do you know what you're going to look like? Well, we were talking about how you'll probably look great with gray hair. I'm not really sure if I will, but I think one thing that's pretty certain is that my hair will be a lot shorter than it is right now. For reference, I have pretty long hair. Like, some might even say really long hair, but I feel like there aren't that many old people who have really long hair. As a general rule, I feel like people cut their hair shorter when they get older, so... Maybe I'll finally have done the chop that I've been talking about for so long. My mom says that my boobs will probably be saggy because I wear so many bralettes. And every time I'm like, Mom, don't you love this bralette? She's like, yeah, well, in 30 years, you're not going to love it so much. So Dang. Yeah. That's cold. Yeah. What do you think you'll be like? 
I don't know. Well, I've already tackled the physical thanks to your first question, but here's some things that I think would make me happy. I would love to be around young people. You know, usually I think people that are they're more marriage oriented might or not I don't know, marriage or blood family oriented might look to the future 50 years from now and feel confident they have grandkids. I don't have that kind of confidence, but I would really like to be surrounded by young people in some capacity and to give them all the wisdom and books and tea that I can and hopefully have them keep me hip to the new slang and the new uh, ways of approaching social justice and whatnot. Um, <laughs> I'd, I'd love to have animals in my life, specifically cattle, Oof. like dairy cows. <laughs> And cats, as as my moniker, Auntie Whiskers, befits. You know, I would love to have some cats that have grown old with me, and we don't even need to talk to each other anymore. We just sit quietly together. Meow. Do you think we're going to live near each other? Could be nice, except for you did say the dairy cattle thing, which suggests to me that you might be living in a rural place, which is not something I really see myself doing. Ooh. We'll see. I don't know. Are there cattle in the city? I'm just kidding. I know they're not. Don't answer that question. Like community, you know, those rooftop gardens that are getting uh, kind of trendy? Yeah, just rooftop rancheries. Yeah, just like one cow on a roof. That'd be so sad. I would never want to do that to a cow. I mean, we've talked about how you and I want to be in each other's lives and are planning on being in each other's lives for a long time and growing old together. Um, and I think... I think I'm really looking forward to having friends when I'm old. I think that sometimes older people, especially ones who are married, don't have friends outside of their marriage. And I think to varying degrees, they have social lives that are centered outside the home. But a lot of times I think um, when people are in monogamous, committed, long-term relationships, their partners end up being perhaps their primary friends. I'd love to have multiple friends, and I'd love to see them a lot. <laughs> yeah, reasonable. Do you know that picture? One of our producers has that picture of their grandma with with her friends. Oh, yeah. I feel like that's kind of what you're, what you're describing you'd like. Yeah, where we all celebrate my 80th birthday together on the couch and then each drink one half of a flute of champagne and fall asleep at 6 p.m. Similar to our birthday party last year, where we did or didn't drink an indeterminate amount of champagne and then fall asleep next to each other, surrounded by two people we care about a lot. I'm just saying, we're already on that path. Well, I gotta say, I honestly am feeling a lot better about aging than I think I was coming into this conversation. Yeah, I mean, recently, I haven't really, I don't know, I think I a lot of times think about aging in these abstract terms, and I think about what it's going to be like, for example, when we're growing old and gray together, but then I don't think about all the time in between, or also kind of some of the more concrete things, such as maybe needing to wear diapers sometimes. Um, and I guess even if certain parts of it like what's going to happen to our bodies might not be the greatest thing. I think that's more than weighed out by the ability to be there with people that we care about and see how they change and grow and stay the same, you know? I agree. I am kind of worried about climate change, though, which is real, just Oof. to clarify. 
If you don't think climate change is real, I'm not really sure how you would find your way to this podcast. Someone should file us on iTunes under, like, climate truthers or something, just to see if we can attract those people. You're right, though. I mean, we can plan all we want for certain elements of growing old, but ultimately there are a lot of things about this world that we have no certainty on, and indeed we're on some pretty pretty bad trajectories. Hopefully we can end this on a positive note. Well, okay, I have a story for you that maybe I've told you before. Have I ever told you about um, how I know I'm going to die when I'm 88? You sure have, but let's hear it again. Okay, well, my family is from India, and one time when I was there, I was hanging out on the beach that we live on with my dad's younger brother, who's my uncle, um, and on that beach, which is often home to like snack sellers and makeshift amusement park type rides and a lot of other stuff, there was a man with a parrot who was telling people's fortunes. And I'm not going to go into all the details here because first of all, a lot of it was in a language I wasn't making a lot of effort to communicate in at the time. And also I was kind of young, so I was getting distracted by snacks. Um, but from f what I can remember, m what I can remember best, um, that parrot identified some things about my real person name and what it signifies that kind of spooked me and my uncle to a certain degree, um, because they were so specific and they were so, so correct. And my uncle didn't tell me most of what the parrot and his keeper said about my future, but he did say that the parrot said I would die when I'm 88. So... I don't know, maybe I've made health choices that have made me die sooner than 88, but maybe that really is what's going to happen. And in that case, being in my 70s, I feel like I'm going to feel a little bit anxious about all the time that's passed. And I hope that you and a lot of other people in my life will remind me that it's not the end, you know, being 10 or 15 years from my supposed death day or death year shouldn't make me give up on trying to make the world a better place or build meaningful relationships. I think no matter what age you die, I think that you will probably be fighting for social justice all the way. Wow, thank you. But actually, you know something? If things are going to get bad, I'm glad that as we get older, we now have a role model in the form of one, two, three, resistance, resistance auntie. auntie. Yeah. So yeah, maybe we go out with that image. Hold her in the light, everyone. Hold her in the light of your hearts. Thank you all for tuning in. Stay young. Or maybe old. Stay aging. Stay thriving. Hi friends, it's me again, Auntie Whiskers. First of all, thank you for the positive reception to our pilot episode. We are just two human beings trying to create meaningful content out here, and it's really affirming and nice to hear that you liked what you heard, and that you're excited for what's ahead. We are too. Uh, we're definitely not trying to get famous right now, but if you think there are people that might like to know about the show or listen to our episodes, uh, maybe invite them to like our Facebook page. And make sure you and anyone else subscribe on iTunes or SoundCloud so you don't miss when we put new stuff out. Uh, secondly, I'd just like to plug the Google form, which you can find a link to on the Facebook page. It's a nice thing. We're really happy to have it. We'd like if you used it. 
Thirdly, and most importantly, at the top of the episode, we mentioned that we're going to try to shout out a different auntie at the beginning of each show. But also at the end of each show, we're going to try to shout out an organization or movement that we think is doing some really good work. We'd like to encourage you, if this is an okay financial time for you, to throw some money at whatever organization we mentioned. Because first of all, we're both aunties with class privilege. So we do see it as kind of our responsibilities to work on leveraging our personal networks and trying to amplify people's work. But also, God, Donald Trump is president now. You know, I think that now might be the time to really commit to the idea that the ways forward are going to be charted by organizers. And we just want to invite everyone that's in the community of this show to help that work along by radically redistributing some resources. So for our first episode, we would appreciate it if you donated to I Have a Future. I Have a Future is the group of youth that put on the demonstration at the People's Inauguration that Auntie Fran mentions in this episode. This is a Dorchester-based movement uh, comprising youth organizers, coordinators, teachers, and young people, especially young people of color, from across Massachusetts. And they have come together to mobilize and organize around youth unemployment and youth criminalization. For example, they had a state budget team that worked on getting state funding for youth jobs and continues to do so. And they have a Jobs Not Jails team that calls attention to a lot of the criminalization of youth of color in Massachusetts and is fighting for criminal justice reform. It's driven by the people that it hopes to serve, which are young people of color, and the adults that are involved are supporting them by creating space and leadership opportunities, giving them seats at the table, centering the youth, and uh, committing to equitable decision-making. If you go to our Facebook page or look in the description for this episode, you'll find a link to donate to I Have a Future. And thank you to Adiel, our friend, and someone we admire a lot, for letting us know about this movement. We really are so excited and heartened by the work that you guys are doing, and we really wish you the best going forward. Our theme song is Bamboo Lips by Lost Tunnel Boys. Jahan Madani made our wonderful art. Our producers are Emma Arnesty Good, Dylan Portalance, and Martha Shanahan. If you made it this far, here's Auntie Franz's grandma cutting a watermelon. Take watermelon. <laughs>